Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wisdom of Friends podcast. Thank Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. This is a podcast where you get to learn more about your friends and community, their wisdom, their trials and tribulations, timeless insights and their secrets. Now, let's get into the show. Please welcome your host, Cal Aras. Hello, uh, folks. Uh, welcome to another episode of Wisdom of Friends. I'm your host, Cal Aras. And today, I'm really excited to be introducing you to a good friend of mine. His name is Ryle Castano. Ryle is the co-founder of Art International, and he's the lead designer of the arts curriculum. Prior to that, he was a course leader and operational manager at the Integral Center in Boulder, Colorado, which was a world-renowned leader in transformational workshops. He has been a course leader, supervisor, facilitator, and a coach since his transformation many, many years ago. He's founded a couple of other companies. One is Virtuance, one of the largest providers of real estate photography in the world, and uh, Pink Mammoth, which is one of the Bay Area's largest and most successful creative arts collectives. Friends, this is uh, a fascinating conversation where we kind of break down communication to its essentials. What does it mean to be authentically relating to another human being? What are some of the distinctions that can help us connect with another individual? And lots more. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, let's welcome the one and only Ryle Castano. Good morning, uh, Ryle. Welcome to uh, Wisdom of Friends show. I'm really excited that you took the time to be on this program. And let me start off with my first impressions of you. I first met you in Seattle not too long ago, actually, and you were leading a workshop on authentic relating and our mutual friend, uh, uh, you know, uh, invited me to this program and I had a chance to sit through the workshop and uh, attend the workshop. And I thought it was really impactful and I know the importance of what you teach can be a benefit for corporations, organizations and businesses uh, globally. So I really, really have been looking forward to this conversation. And again, thank you for taking the time to be on the show and welcome to the show. Absolutely. Thanks, Kyle. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Ryle, one of the ways uh, we kick off our show is by asking our guest a simple yet profound question, and that is, what is your favorite quote or philosophy that you live by, and how have you applied Mm. it to your life? Mm, Perfect. Uh, The first quote I think that comes to mind, actually, is one that I came across many years ago. Uh, It's the last line of a book by Tom Robbins, uh, and the quote is, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. And uh, I just love that. You know, it's always uh, an invitation to recapitulate the experiences of childhood as an adult and be able to bring back all the insights and uh, experiences and um, wisdom of the journey of adulthood to tie in um, some of the elements and aspects of childhood and to bring forward some of the aspects of childhood into the present adult moment of life and um, and be a, be a kid again. I like that. And I think uh, as we grow up, we become adults, you know, we lose that sense of play that we had. And I think it's such a critical component of, you know, being creative and innovative in our, you know, in our businesses. And I think having that joyfulness, the full self-expression, if you will, 
can be uh, the defining factor uh, in life. And I, I totally agree with you on that. So the, the other question I'm curious about is, I know that you are the f- co-founder of Authentic Relating, which is now slowly turning into a global movement, and you do workshops and seminars uh, in Australia and Bali and all over the U.S. And so my question, before we get into any of that, uh, what I'm curious about is, what did your parents do and how did that shape your life? And in other mm-hmm. words, where did you grow up and how would you describe your childhood? Sure. Uh, yeah, my dad was uh, British. Uh, he was uh, born in London and then lived uh, all over the world. He comes from uh, an Orthodox Jewish background, uh, and I was born in London. And meanwhile, my mom is from Kansas, uh, from uh, the prairies of Kansas, and as about a different of a life as you could get from the life that my dad grew up in. Uh, she was a flight attendant for the airlines back in the 60s and 70s, and uh, they actually met on a transatlantic flight. And uh, then she moved to London, where I was born, and then uh, I pretty much moved all over the place since then. Um, At two years old, I moved to Switzerland, grew up there, and then to New York City when I was seven, uh, and then back and forth between the two, and then have since lived all over the place. And I would say more than what my parents did um, that had an impact, it was really actually more of their places of origin. And the fact that I was immersed both in the environment and lifestyle of uh, middle America and uh, the life that you could imagine uh, is being lived in places like Kansas, uh, where it really is just a kind of simplicity and a sense of community that's really rooted to the earth and timeless. Um, and then at the other end of the spectrum, uh, being immersed in the Orthodox Jewish New York and London world, and then bouncing back and forth frequently between the two. And so it really was the exposure to these very different environments and worlds and values uh, that I think really broadened my sense of, of life and how um, differently life can be lived uh, in a fulfilling way across the spectrum of the human experience. And so that's really infused itself into how I relate to authentic relating, how I um, am empowered and excited and, um, and uh, sort of on mission to bring it out is exactly that, to expose people to different uh, parts of the world, different values, different perspectives, different opinions, um, and different characters that uh, embody those opinions, perspectives, and values. Uh, And what we teach are exactly the tools to build those bridges between uh, otherwise disconnected parts of the world and of our uh, global community so that we can learn from each other. I've, I've learned so much from my family in Kansas and from my family in New York and London. And, um, and, and I've seen and been able to synthesize the different respective value systems of these different worlds such that they've given me a more informed, comprehensive, and um, I think more relevant perspective of what it is to be human. Uh, that's so great and very inspiring what you just shared. And that brings up another question now. You know, uh, it seems like uh, you have been on a journey of personal development for many, many years. And uh, as uh, as for the benefit of the audience, Ryle uh, Castano is the co-founder and course leader for the Art International. And before that, uh, you were also a course leader at the Integral Center in Boulder, Colorado, uh, leading transformational workshops. And then you also 
you know, started companies uh, called Virtuans, which is uh, one of the largest providers of real estate photography. And then uh, the Pink Mammoth is one of your other creations, uh, which is one of the creative arts collectives in the Bay Area. And today, you know, you lead uh, this amazing uh, authentic relating programs uh, across the globe. So the question that I have for you is, and this stems from a lot of questions we get from our audiences, how do we find our calling? So the, what would you suggest to somebody who is listening as to how do they find their calling or purpose in life? And obviously, it seems like you have found yours. So any yeah. suggestions, tips, and recommendations or what was your journey like? Sure. Great question. I would say that um, I can inform my answer by looking back at uh, the past and my past life and my past choices through the lens or prism of what I know today in really sort of feeling into and identifying uh, aspects of life like purpose and mission and calling. Um, And I would say really it's a combination of two things. First, I would say it's really actually being quiet and listening and paying attention both to what's happening within oneself as well as uh, the people and the environment around. Because I think there's this, um, in my world at least, I think there's this false um, sort of trajectory that says, you know, you in order to find your calling or passion or purpose, you need to go out and, you know, follow your heart, follow your desires, get out there and make something happen. And um, I, I, I think actually what's worked for me and, and what I've seen work for many other people is the opposite, is actually becoming really quiet and really, really still and uh, really being able to open up the senses and feel the perception to pay attention to what's happening within and without. And I found that by doing that, by sort of just softening everything and relaxing everything and um, coming into a place of quietness and stillness, in fact, um, that's the most rich and uh, opportune space to identify a particular calling um, because it's emerging in a space of quietness. And we can really sort of listen more deeply into our deeper desires and start to sift away uh, the aspects of cultural or parental or familial or societal conditioning that compels us to go out and do something because we think we're supposed to or because we think we're supposed to follow a particular script. And so coming to a place of rest and softening it all, I think actually gives us an opportunity to tap into and make contact with the deeper desires, the core desires, the ones that are really truly ours that aren't being influenced by all these outside conditioned Uh, influences. Uh, So I would say that. And the second part I would say is um, really, I mean, it's it's sort of the cliche uh, strategy, but it's really networking. Um, I would say, by and large, all of the opportunities that I've followed have come through meeting the right people at the right time. Um, And so I've really just gone out and done the things that I've really enjoyed doing um, that didn't particularly hold any promise for a career or a business or anything like that, but really uh, provided for me an opportunity and a space to network and connect with people who shared similar interests. And then from there, um, there's an opportunity to explore a co-creative endeavor or initiative. Um, So I would say it's really just getting quiet and listening and softening and relaxing and tapping into one's own desires. And then also balancing that with getting out there and making contact with people who share similar values, similar interests, 
with whom we can explore um, a co-creation that can lead into uh, an exciting and, and viable business. Well, that is fantastic. And what I'm hearing you say is a couple of things. One is being a witness, being observational, and really tapping into uh, the silence of the universe. And secondly, uh, finding your tribe so you can network with them and, and build that community. And it reminds yeah. me of this uh, thing like, you know, uh, we spend money that we don't have to buy fancy things we don't need and yeah. in order to impress someone we don't care about. And our choice and lifestyle is centered around how others perceive us rather than what is best for us. And and it's really, uh, as you said, it's about knowing what your deepest desires are. And the only way to tap into that is tapping into the silence and being observant of things that is going around us. So the other question that I have for you is, uh, you know, when you look back at your life, you know, we've all had those moments where there were success, certain successful moments that totally changed the trajectory of our lives, if you will, where life was never the same again. So can you recall a moment or an incident or an instance in your life that was like truly transformational for you? Sure. I mean, there's definitely been many. Um, I would say one of the earliest ones that really um, had a huge transformational impact on me uh, was when I was 21 years old. Um, I'd started college early uh, at 16, so I graduated at 20. And while I was in college, I learned to fly, uh, became a pilot, got a pilot's license, and then uh, managed to uh, scrape enough together to get an airplane uh, a small little airplane after college, and I had been a, I'd lived a pretty sheltered and guarded upbringing uh, up until then, um, and never really had an opportunity to strike out on my own. And so the summer after college, uh, I packed up my dog into my uh, little four-seater single-engine airplane and spent three months flying around the United States and uh, really focused on spending a lot of time in the more sort of unpopulated rural areas, landing at little strips in the middle of nowhere, uh, camping, you know, under the wing and um, stepping out into the communities around and, and meeting people all over the place and really being struck by how warm and welcoming and hospitable and curious people were. Um, and it really sort of shattered my, uh, you know, fears and uh, ways that I had separated myself from the world um, and had made up all sorts of stories, you know, of how scary and dangerous the world are, uh, was. And so being able to step out in this way at 21 and, you know, being able to do it, um, you know, in, in places that I'd never been exposed to or traveled to or knew anything about really informed the course of my life since then. It, it really imbued in me a, a kind of uh, deep curiosity to get out into the world and to particularly go to places and be drawn to places that I knew the least about and get curious and, and listen and ask questions and be in conversation and immerse myself, myself in those uh, new environments, new people, new places, new cultures. And it's been just radically uh, informative and insightful, engaging, enlivening. Uh, and it really all stemmed from that, um, that trip I took around the country at 21. No, it's uh, beautiful, and uh, it's really the the pattern or the thread that I'm noticing in your sharing is a sense of wonder and curiosity about life. I mean, who does that? Buy, get a pilot license at the age of 21 and buys a plane and flies around the United States. It's the rare individuals who have a real passion about uh, life and trying to 
uh, you know, understand uh, humanity. And that's uh, no wonder that uh, you're doing today what you're doing. And it's really, as you pointed out earlier, tapping into your deepest desires and uh, being observational. And that brings up another question, uh, Ryle, and that is, who were your mentors uh, growing up, you know, all the way from when you were 21 up until now? And whom did you look up to or you wanted to emulate or you were fascinated by anybody that comes to mind that you want to give a shout out to? Sure. You know, I'd, I'd say there's there's far too many for me to name. I mean, there's there's really no one or two or three people that stand out. I'd say I've learned something from uh, hundreds and hundreds of people, countless number of people. Uh, in some cases, just, you know, having come across them on a travel somewhere, on a trip somewhere, and just exchanging a little nugget of information um, uh, to people I've, you know, studied under for a long time. But but I would say that the most accurate answer there is I've learned something from almost everybody I've ever met. And, um, you know, the, the beauty of that is how that's really tied into this practice of authentic relating that teaches us how to be curious and recognize the, the teacher the guru in everybody that uh, that we come across. And uh, I was already practicing that at a pretty early age and recognizing um, how much I have to learn from the people around me, especially the people that are most different than me, the people that have walked a different path of life than I have uh, and have come to cultivate a perspective of life that is distinctly different than my own, which then provides me uh, with a unique and precious opportunity to learn a little bit more about the world by listening and paying attention to and aligning myself with the perspective of others, uh, and vice versa. It's a, it's a reciprocal, uh, synergistic type of interaction. Uh, and that's the frame that I take with me now is, um, you know, there's, there's a teacher in everybody, uh, and there's a limitless amount of knowledge and wisdom for me to tap into uh, when I apply that context to my life. No, that's uh, well said. And I think uh, it's that going back to that fundamental question of, you know, how do we know what we know and how we, how do we find out what we know we don't know? And, and I think it goes back to everything that we want to learn, we don't know anything about life exists in the minds of strangers. I think it's that's one of your uh, core principles of authentic relating. And, and I would also say that uh, the other aspect of tapping into what the unknown is like going within and connecting with the source. And that could be a practice of meditation or walking into nature or listening to music or whatever that practice might be. But I think those are two known ways of really kind of acquiring and tapping into the unknown. Now, this brings up a perfect segue, actually, into one of the distinctions that authentic relating programs are all about. And that is Leading with humility, and I think honoring self and honoring others. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah, so we offer a distinction that we call dignity and humility, uh, just to provide some background context for uh, what you're referring to there. And when we say dignity, it's really recognizing that I am a teacher, I have something to offer to the world, to the people around me, uh, by virtue of having walked my unique path that nobody else has walked. It's given me a perspective that is uniquely mine and allows me and invites me to share elements of that perspective uh, with dignity and recognizing that my truth is a valid truth and it's a unique truth and a unique perspective that can benefit um, other people by my articulating it and sharing it. 
And then at the other end of the spectrum is what we just spoke about, the humility of recognizing that everything that I don't know is contained in the minds of the people around me. And that by leading with humility, it gives me a, a sort of context and platform for me to be quiet, listen, pay attention, and learn uh, from uh, from the perspectives, the unique perspectives of the people around me. And so there's a sort of continuum along the spectrum between dignity and humility uh, that um, really sort of provides a balance in moving towards uh, a more of a collective human truth. And so uh, it's a balance between the validation, the authority of my own perspective and truth, as well as the validity and um, authenticity of other people's perspectives. And then you re referenced uh, honoring self and honoring others. So those are two of our four agreements that we offer at the beginning of our workshops. Um, and honoring self speaks to that dignity end of the spectrum. Uh, it's really knowing myself, taking care of myself, not uh, sort of subsuming myself into uh, the sort of, you know, shared collective um, frequency of the the world around me, but acting in accordance and alignment with what's true for me. And then honoring other is exactly the, the other side of the coin. Uh, and, um, you know, sort of looking out into the world and getting curious about people and learning about how they want to be um, recognized and related to and supported and treated. Uh, we we have this rule that we call the platinum rule. Everybody knows the, the golden rule, treat others as you would like to be treated. And we have a unique spin on it that we call the platinum rule, and that's treat everybody as they would like to be treated, um, since we have no idea how other people like to be treated without first getting curious and finding out. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it's a great sort of framework to apply to how I sort of navigate uh, the world and recognizing that I have needs, other people have needs, and then applying this framework to synthesize these two ends of the spectrum in such a way that they uh, are sort of in sync with each other in the choices that I make in the world. No, that is uh, brilliantly stated. And I think uh, what it also does is it creates a space for authentic communication and relating, as you uh, point out. And I think, uh, you know, just quoting some of the stats that we have going on today in uh, today's day and age with, uh, you know, be it a political system or even the business world, you know, there has been actual stats that says that 14% of every work week is wasted due to unclear communication. There was a Gallup study that was done uh, not too long ago that said, you know, out of like 20% of the people were actually engaged at their jobs. And, uh, and, and it all stems from incorrect I mean, partly, I would say, stems from having unclear communication, the unwillingness to listen to each other or respect each other. And I think this honoring oneself and honoring others provides that framework where communication can flow. And so my question to you is, one of the basic tenets of authentic relating, I believe, are the three stages of communication. Is that correct? which is uh, the informational, and then there is emotional, and then there is the relational. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I just I actually just want to touch on uh, an element of the last thing that you said around these, these statistics and how they seem to demonstrate that we aren't really listening to each other and how that actually ties into leading with humility and the sort of honoring other end of the spectrum is checking for connection, checking for listening. I think so often in the workplace, at home, 
uh, and really generally we're speaking without checking to see if there's a field of listening and receptivity open on the other side into which we can speak whatever it is that we're speaking. And so we overlook that and then just speak into, you know, a field that's either distracted or defensive or unavailable and it just goes over around people's heads. Um, and so the one of the aspects of leading with humility that I think is really important to stress is that we check for connection. We check for listening first and make sure that the other person or the other people are available for us and what we want to share before we actually share it to make sure that it's going in and we're honoring the connection that needs to be there for exchange to occur. Um, so I just wanted to, to name that before I answer your current question. Um, and so, yeah, so we've, we've developed uh, a framework or a map uh, that we call the three levels of connection. And it helps to identify where we are in relationship to particular components of conversation that are roughly correlated to experiences of intimacy and depth of connection with other people. And so at the highest or most superficial level, we have what we call the informational level. And that's where we're exactly doing that. We're exchanging information. It's very functional, practical, devoid of any sort of emotional content. Um, and we say, I think up to about 80% of all communication occurs at the informational level. Uh, and then the next level down is what we call the personal or emotional level. We're talking about our feelings now, how we feel about things that we've discussed at the informational level. And often that's where people tend to bottom out in terms of intimacy and uh, authentic, vulnerable connection with each other. Uh, but we've actually uh, discovered and live at a third level of connection that we call the relational level. And that's really where authentic relating mostly lives. Authentic relating is really first recognizing where we are on the spectrum of depth of conversation, and then often inviting ourselves into this relational level, which is defined specifically by uh, being in an experience that is based on the here and now. What's happening here and what's happening now within myself, within you, and within our shared space. And it's just remarkable once we tap into that level uh, how rich and fertile and potent uh, the here and now is uh, in um, really offering and facilitating and cultivating deep connection. Both connection with ourselves, like between us and ourselves, what's actually happening for myself right here, right now, and being able to start to practice the ability to art articulate what's happening for me here and now, and then bringing that into relationship and exploring what's happening here and now uh, for myself and for another. And we found um, how profoundly fulfilling and connective and enlightening uh, and engaging this level of connection and communication can be. No, that is great. And and the one thing that I would also say to that is uh, not that any of these levels are wrong or cannot be utilized. There is a place and a season for each phase of these uh, communication. Obviously, if you're in a business setting and uh, there is a data that needs to be communicated to get a particular job done, informational works just fine. But then there are levels that can be utilized when you're connecting with a client or a customer so that you Avoid having those uh, multiple meetings to get to the root of the equation, if you will, so that you can uh, connect with your customer on your first uh, meeting itself and understand their needs, their problems, and uh, you know how best your solution can address those needs. And I think these levels of communication can definitely benefit uh, 
you know, relationships, client relationships can can have an impact on the top line as well as the bottom line. So, no, that is so great, Ryle. And so the other question I have for you is uh, when you look at your life, uh, what are any favorite failure moments? And what I mean by that is, uh, you know, in hindsight, when you look at it, it really was uh, the successful, major success down the road that turned out to be like that turning point, if you will, which you didn't know at that time, but really uh, was a breakthrough in communication for you personally. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. I would say, um, I mean, I've, I've definitely developed a context where I use every failure as an opportunity to grow and to learn something. Really what I, I mean, the way that I hold failure, and, and I think it's just such a misconstrued word, um, and it really needs to be um, defined by the background context that we apply to particular failures in our lives. Um, but for me, you know, failure is, is an opportunity to recognize that I'm in uncharted territory. The map that I was using to navigate my life is not relevant to the current circumstances. And so for me, it's a recognition that I need to update my map. And for me to update my map means that I need to get quiet and pay attention and learn about my environment such that I have the material inf- and information to update my map such that it's accurate and can then lead me forward. And so it's, it's a necessary and natural aspect, I think, of those of us who are willing to step into the unknown and into uncharted territories to discover what lies there. Um, uh, to recognize that we're going to go off path, that we're going to veer away uh, from uh, the sort of familiar knowns of our past. And that may look like what we call failure, and yet it's a perfect opportunity to uh, update our models and our maps of the environment around us. Um, I would say most recently, um, I would say that it's been a real adjustment to recognize that I've really overextended myself, actually. I've been so fired up and excited by this work that I've just chased every single opportunity I possibly can um, and have as many calls and as many meetings and flying all over the world because there's such a massive demand and appetite for this work that opportunities are popping up all over the place. And I really neglected and overlooked how exhausting that has been for me. And uh, how little time I've actually honored self and uh, taken time to rest and, and settle and recover and restore my resources. Um, and, you know, I, I don't consider that a failure. I mean, there was definitely a lot of good that came out of it, but it was, uh, it was being able to use a lot of these aspects and frameworks of authentic relating to recognize, oh, wait a minute, I'm totally out of balance here. And I can't really function to the best of my potential when I'm this far out of balance. Uh, And so it was an opportunity to update my model of how to be in this work in a balanced way, such that I honor myself while I'm also out in the world honoring others. No, that is great. And I think uh, it reminds me of this uh one of the habits uh, or the seven habits of highly effective people by Dr. Stephen Covey in uh, one of the classic books on uh, effectiveness. And one of the habits he talks about in that book is self-care and self-renewal. And it's like sharpening the saw. It's so critical that uh, that we do take care of ourselves 
so that we can operate at a peak performance. So I think what I'm hearing you say is there was a breakdown in your communication with yourself that uh, the model that you were using is in order to grow your business that, you know, you were saying yes to a lot of opportunities, but at the cost of self-care and, you know, that was having an impact. And by you taking personal responsibility for your own well-being, you're able to update your mental model to now allow for time that you can take care of yourself. Is that is that an accurate uh, summary? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and it's a constantly iterative and reiterative process. Like it never ends, right? I mean, the, that's the nature of the world around us is that it's constantly evolving, changing, mutating, and what have you. And so. You know, the the maps that I cultivate and develop are always going to become obsolete uh, at some point. And so it's a constantly ongoing process to continue to pay attention to what's happening in the current moment so that I can continue to update those models and maps and uh, and live in this state of balance and equilibrium. Absolutely. And so this brings up another question, and uh, we have already established the fact that there is uh, there's an impact of not having communication and organizations and the 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 loss of quality work that gets done uh, or lack of quality work that gets done, if you will. And uh, so we know what the impact is and the disengagement of the employees working at organizations and all that. So my question to you is, and... Uh, Right, and I think this uh, goes back to one of the quotes I just remembered of George Bernard Shaw, is the problem with communication is the illusion that it has taken place. And mm-hmm. what, in your opinion, is uh, stops people from having that connection uh, as, uh, and as you talk about in Authentic Relating, which is intimacy and having openness and being vulnerable, what do you think blocks people's connections? Yeah. Yeah, I think I want to answer that actually in in the context of business, um, you know, because I came across this work of authentic relating a little while after I'd launched my real estate photography company um, back in late 2010, early 2011. And, you know, we had started that company very conventionally uh, and, you know, according to sort of traditional best business practices. Um, and then as I discovered this work and started to port it over to the work and business environment, at the company, um, it was just absolutely dramatic, the impact that the introduction of this work had in the workplace. Uh, and just to, just to sort of illustrate the impact that it had, uh, about three years later, we were uh, voted the fourth happiest place uh, to work at in all of Colorado uh, out of thousands of companies. And I think it was directly attributed to the um, both introduction and inf- infusing of this practice into the work environment. And I would say it really boils down to recognizing that our employees are whole people. They're not leaving their lives uh, uh, at the door when they come to the workplace. They are living, breathing human beings that have a whole variety of experiences, facets, dimensions to them. And authentic relating really is about uh, restoring the recognition and the and and looking through the lens uh, at the people around us as whole human beings, and so you know I started to introduce practices and um, structures that really honored and recognized and invited the whole human being in the workplace. For example, we would have you know weekly operations meetings, and I would just simply start the meeting by inviting each person to share what was happening for them in their lives. 
uh, what was going on for them, uh, things that they were excited about, things that they were struggling with. And it's not that we were going to, you know, put much attention on that or try to solve anything, but really giving people an invitation and an opening and a context to bring their full, whole human selves to the to the space and and um, and to the workplace in particular. And uh, people, I think, really responded to that in a very favorable way. Uh, and it automatically, I think, uh, cultivated a depth of trust and intimacy and real connection among people at the workplace that carried out into uh, their lives beyond uh, the business. You know, a lot of our employees became friends and spent a lot of time together outside of the work environment. And we just felt a, a much more, uh, a much deeper sense of team and that we're all working towards a common objective. Um, and, and I think if I could speak on behalf of the employees, it, I would imagine they would say something like, this company and the people that run it really care about us. And they're really here to listen to us and support us and invite us to be the full human beings that we are here. No, that is great. And I think uh, the the other question related to this was, uh, you know, what blocks people's connections, which is, you know, it's it seems like what you did was provide people the space to speak and communicate. It's not that you're solving the problems, but it's like allowing people to be honored and uh, having speak their minds, because oftentimes it's really getting them. It's uh, allowing them to like open up and share. And as you said, it's like people are whole human beings, uh, whole, perfect and complete. And, you know, most of the companies uh, have this blueprint backwards. You know, they focus on the shareholder with value and then the customers and then the employees. And that's the sequence they operate on. Uh, but really, yeah. some of the the companies that are authentically uh, related to their employees and to their core values, they figured it out. They flipped the script by focusing yeah. on the employees first, which in turn, uh, who will, which allows them to focus on the c- customers. That in fact it has an impact on the shareholder value. So I think it's really about taking a different lens at how you view businesses, how you view uh, relationships and really it all comes down to your people are your greatest asset uh, in any yeah. organization. Yeah. And I would just add to that, too. I mean, one way of illustrating what I'm talking about here is, you know, you can imagine being in the work environment and, you know, the team is working on a project and, um, you know, you would ask uh, your colleagues or your teammates, you know, what do you think of this and what do you think of that? And, you know, that that's all well and good. But what, what we offer, what we're introducing is asking the question, how does this feel as well as what do we think about it? How do we feel about it? I mean, we are feeling human beings. And in fact, there's an intelligence at the felt level that absolutely has a place in the work environment. Uh, and when we started to incorporate and integrate people's deeper sense of, of, of the felt experience, it just remarkably changed the, the entire culture of the workplace. Uh, and, you know, it's, I think that there's a stigma around, um, you know, feelings and, and uh, emotions in the workplace. And um, I think that really needs to be updated. I think it, we need to recognize that we have both brains and we have hearts. Uh, we think and we feel. And when we can welcome that in the work environment, we see a massive increase in a sense of trust um, and, uh, and, uh, and a sort of um, you know, welcoming of the whole person. And that directly translates into productivity. Well, that is uh, great. 
And uh, the other thing that comes up for me here is context. You know, I've, I've been hearing you share about the context and setting the frame, if you will. And, you know, that is really the key. And for me, context is the mental model that you are operating in. And that can totally shift the way you look at things, the actions you take, the who you're being in the moment. Could you share about the importance of context in any given dynamic? Be sure. It- yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we have our one of our central teachings is around context and setting context. And the way we describe context is basically that it's a game, and the aspects of context are the rules of the game. And we look at everything as a game. Society it's, itself is a game. Capitalism is a game. Uh, particular political movements are a game that have associated rules uh, that we've all subscribed to, either explicitly or implicitly relationship itself is you could consider as a game that comes with particular rules and most often breakdowns occur in relationship when people are playing two different games that they're not aware that they're playing differently they each think they're playing the same game using the same rules and in fact when they look at it and investigate it they realize that they're they're playing completely different games that have completely different rules and neither game is more uh you know right or wrong than the other they're just different. And once people get clear about how this dynamic has shaped how they relate, now they have an opportunity to establish or reset a new context and start playing a new game and make explicit the rules of the game that they want to play. Uh, and so this is particularly useful in the context of relationships uh, and recognizing that breakdowns occur because of these conflicting implicit contexts uh, as an opportunity to make it explicit. So you could pick anybody in your life, you know, that uh, you have a relationship with and think about the game that you're playing with that person and think about the rules of the game that you are each subscribed to and then ask the question, are you playing by the same rules or not? And then have a conversation with that person and talk about the kind of context of relationship that you want to create together and then talk about the aspects, the elements the contours of that context that you could roughly relate to rules of a game uh, that's going to hold and define and then act as a platform for that relationship to unfold in the future. No, that is great. And I think uh, the two things that stand out from your share here is one is to be aware of the default context that we may be operating in and and we may not even be aware of it. And most so most often that context comes from uh, indoctrination, uh, from a culture, environment, or just that's how it's always been. And so the, really the key is to question that context to see if it is benefiting the business, the relationship, and then having the freedom to reinvent a new context that empowers you and the other person involved. And if it's a business, uh, it could be about, you know, what, what does the company stand for going forward for, for the business, who we are as a company, what values we stand for, and what kind of impact do we want to make with the customers? And I think uh, exactly. those are some of the ways to kind of look at it as a context. And I think uh, a lot of people get uh, stumped up on this word context just to kind of give it a little more clarity uh, is that it's, it's like a paradigm shift. You know, there's one way of looking at life, and that's how we always looked at life. And a context, what it does is it shifts the paradigm, uh, gives us another way of looking at life. And I'm trying to think of an example uh, that might make uh, sense. Uh, yeah, well, I can give you an example yeah. that, that's born from personal experience. You know, I used to travel a lot for, for work and spend a lot of time on airplanes. 
And, you know, a common implicit context on airplanes uh, is, you know, you pretty much get into your own private space, you know, and uh, you may just exchange some pleasantries with the person sitting next to you. Uh, but that's about it. There's a kind of social convention there that is the context of spending time in close quarters with strangers. And so when I discovered this work and recognized that I could create my own context, uh, I brought, I created and brought the context that I'm going to connect intimately and deeply with whoever I sit next to on an airplane and play that game. And so I just basically started playing that game and would sit down next to somebody or wait for somebody to sit next to me. And I could feel all of the resistance and fears and, you know, uh, all of these sort of aspects of my experience that came up when I was about to challenge social convention. And yet I pierced through that anyway and would reach out and, you know, offer or ask some questions, engage with the person. And they, you know, sort of might be at first susceptible to the same social conventions. But almost always, I would say probably 95 over 90% of the time that I played this game and created this context and invited others into that context, um, we, we won the game. We, we were able to cultivate intimate connection, and it was, just, it was just incredible. You know, I mean, these are just normal, routine, boring work trips, and they were made so much more fulfilling and enlivening by creating, offering, and inviting people into this context of intimate connection. No, that is great. And I think you're also, uh, you know, the key here is to also understand that the other person that you're dealing with also has a context coming in. And uh, it's it's really tapping into their worldview as well. For example, uh, there was a story about a guy who steps into a subway in New York. And, you know, there's a pretty quiet scene. Everybody is like sitting all by themselves, reading newspapers or listening to music. And then at the next station, another man walks into the subway with two little kids. And the kids are kind of like really uh, vocal and running around. And the entire setting changes from being quiet and serene and peaceful to like all these uh, kids now throwing newspapers at each other and chaos. So the guy talks to this father, apparently saying, you know, can't you not take care of the kids here because they're really causing a ruckus and the father kind of like looks at him and say oh i'm sorry i gotta take care of these kids don't i um we just came back from the hospital where the mother died and i don't know what to tell these kids and i don't know how to deal with it myself and in that moment the entire paradigm shifted from trying to uh, correct this person and teach him a social behavior to really having the feeling of empathy and really connecting with what's going on with the other person and i think it really ties back into uh, having their intimacy and being open and having the humility to really uh, tap into and tune into the other person. So no, this is great. Uh, so, Ryle, the other question, uh, we're going to shift gears here as far as uh, the concept of authentic relating is concerned, but I really want to kind of tap into some of the application of authentic relating as far as uh, speaking is concerned. You know, you've been a course leader and a speaker for many years. What has been your philosophy in terms of creating an impactful speech or delivering a workshop or a presentation? How do you prepare and uh, what have you found useful? Sure. Well, I'll start by saying that it's it's by no means my natural uh, and most comfortable place to be. I mean, I've always, you know, been one to be an observer and a wall hugger and uh staying out of the center of attention. So it's definitely been uh, a major, uh, you know, journey and exploration for me to step into um, the center of attention uh, and sort of be at the front of the room and 
and uh, you know, leading and speaking and sharing from that perspective. So it certainly hasn't come naturally to me. And I'll say that I've relied entirely on the skills and tools and ways of being that authentic relating offers uh, to be able to step into that and trust myself there and relax there. Um, and so I would say, first off, it's really first knowing what I'm talking about and being really passionate about what I'm talking about. And those are absolutely both true when it comes to authentic relating. Um, I mean, I live this stuff every day, and so it's in my body. It's in my system. I'm not uh, you know, having to speak in this sort of um, you know, very intentional, conscious way. I'm really just sort of speaking from my heart, from my body, and, and how I live my life. So that's certainly made it a lot easier. Um, but then really it's like you know, one of the core components of authentic relating is being present is simply being present in the moment and revealing what's happening in the moment. And so, you know, if I'm feeling a particular way as a leader, facilitator, speaker, um, I get to just be present to that and not try to suppress it or deny it or, or uh, cover it up. And, uh, you know, if the context allows it, I can reveal it even and share how I'm feeling in the moment and what's happening for me in the moment. Uh, so that's been really uh, useful and valuable. And then... Uh, because authentic relating is so much about connection and I've been just steeped in this uh, sort of field and, and way of being that is connection with other human beings, well, it shows up for me as a leader and speaker. I'm not looking out at a sea of people, uh, you know, that uh, are just, you know, there to judge me or something. They're individual human beings and I feel a sense of connection with every one of them. Um, and so when I'm speaking, I'm looking around and I'm connecting with people. I feel the connection, uh, that is there between people and then just speaking into those personal individual, um, uh, frequencies of connection. Uh, so I would say all those things. Um, and, and honestly, it's, it's still, I still get, you know, nerves and, and, uh, anxiety and all the rest of it. Um, but I've just learned to really trust myself. I'll just get into that space and just let the words come, and I trust and surrender to whatever comes. Uh, I don't really plan anything out. I have a very basic roadmap of where I'm going. Uh, but other than that, I really just trust that um, this sort of day-to-day -day experience that I live uh, will speak for itself. And that's pretty much been the case. Well, that's great. And I think uh, this would be uh, beneficial for some of the business leaders and uh, professional speakers who are uh who are one of our aspects of our audience who give speeches and who uh, make pitches to venture capitalists and angel investors. And I think, I think the summary or the takeaway from Raj sharing here is really knowing your stuff, knowing what you're talking about, being present and utilizing the principles of authentic connection with your audience. Uh, so tuning into those frequencies and really uh, showing up uh, whatever the present moment dictates and, and I think that's uh, that's really great. Moral, you also offer coaching, is that correct? Yes, yeah, that's one of the services we offer. And uh, yeah, and coaching can be one of the best investments that one can make for your personal professional development. So could you walk us through your coaching process? Sure, yeah, so we provide coaching for individuals, couples, families as well as consulting for executives and companies and uh, we're seeing increasing uh, demand for our work in those respective domains and fields. Uh, I would say that the philosophy that uh, informs and imbues 
though service is really is from the same core set of principles uh, that feed us as we live our lives, as we facilitate these workshops. Um, and so in the case of you know coaching individuals, it's really about supporting them in bringing this work and these tools of authentic relating more and more deeply into their lives and using them to become more and more empowered and awake and aware and conscious, using real-time examples and especially breakdowns that occur in relationship as material to explore um, and then, you know, sort of insert into the framework of authentic relating to see what's possible uh, in that way of being. Um, in the executive and corporate realm, uh, we've done a number of, of uh, consulting engagements from an afternoon, you know, with the uh, with the C-level personnel uh, to full-scale one or two or three-day immersions for an entire organization. Um, and it's really to uh, have people recognize that they already have the skills and tools to be an authentic relationship. And we're just basically holding up the mirror and providing reflections and guidance that have people turn that switch on and be able to relate with each other in a real, honest, open, vulnerable, conscious way. Um, and the beauty, the profound like aspect of authentic relating is how uh, universally relevant it is. Whether you learn it in the workplace, you learn it at a workshop, you learn it via coaching, it trickles out, it ripples out, and it affects and impacts all aspects of a person's life. So, you know, we'll reach people through whatever avenue or means is available and then trust and make known that uh, the work that we're transmitting and training and guiding people into uh, ripples out across all aspects of their lives. Um, so, yeah, we have more information on that uh, online, and uh, it's, uh, it's really been the most effective way to support people in getting this work really firm, uh, sort of in, in place and uh, firmly in their system uh, such that they live it from an embodied place. Well, excellent, and uh, man, we'll include all that information in our show notes uh, for the benefit of the audience. Now, I would be remiss if I don't ask you about conflict uh, resolution, because I think one of the distinctions that uh, you talk about is the principle of Aikido in communication. So speak to us about that, please. Yeah, well, obviously and inevitably conflict arises in all places that humans share space. And so, of course, it's a major component and aspect of what we train people in uh, through the sort of lens of authentic relating. And so there's much to say about it, far too much to say um, for this call, but I would start by saying a couple things. One is, again, back to the piece around leading with humility. We often leap to assumptions and conclusions about the motivations of people without really knowing what's actually happening for them and what's motiva motivating them to behave in the way that they're behaving. And so when we start by listening and paying attention and leading with humility and recognizing I don't know where this person, where this person is coming from and asking the question, what does this person care about such that they're showing up the way that they're showing up? That has us get curious and be able to um, get a few levels and layers deeper. And, and uh, very frequ frequently, once we can appreciate and identify where someone is coming from and what's motivating their actions and words, uh, the conflict vastly dissipates. Um, and so conflict often is simply from uh, not understanding or seeing or recognizing where each other is coming from. Uh, and authentic relating gives us the tools to uncover that. Um, 
So I'd say that, and then I'd also say that conflict, we say conflict is energy. Conflict is actually very useful in uh, providing a dynamic that can uncover the deeper sets of values of people. What do people really need? What do people really care about? Conflict can actually show us that if we hold it and frame it and contextualize it in an appropriate way. And very often we've seen that, that more intimacy is available on the other side of conflict. If it's not, if it's navigated skillfully and consciously, that's great. So, uh, shifting gears here, in the interest of time, we'll uh, go on to our next section, which is the rapid fire round. And I'm going to ask you a bunch of quick questions. Uh, it's the first response that comes to your mind. Ral, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So, who's your favorite music band? Favorite music band. Well, tough one. I I, uh, I listen to DJs and uh, DJ mixes uh, almost exclusively, and uh, I don't have any particular favorites. But um, but that's really where where the juice is for me in the uh, sort of dance floor electronic domain. Gotcha. The second question: uh, You've traveled a lot uh, in Europe and the US, and obviously been to many festivals. What has been, uh, in your opinion, the greatest work of art? The greatest work of art. <laughs> uh, honestly, the first answer that comes to mind is the Burning Man Festival uh, out in Nevada. I've been there 10 times. And it's a collective work of art. While it's constituted of so many individual uh, artistic modes of expression, collectively it's just the most extraordinary expression of human cre- creativity that I've ever seen on the planet. That's great. I, I still have it on my to-do list Uh we definitely yeah. will check it out. Uh, the next question, what is the best book you've read or re-gifted over the years? Anything that you would like to recommend for our audience? Yeah, I'll name two. It's two that I recommend to everybody um, that is willing to listen to my recommendations. The first is The Untethered Soul uh, by Michael Singer. A brilliant book, very simple, beautiful, profound. Uh, the second book is called The Eden Project by James Hollis. And uh, it's really, it really breaks down the aspects of shadow, projection, wounding archetypes uh, in the context of real intimate relationships. It's, both of those books have had a massive influence on me. Well, that's great. And we'll include that uh, in the show notes as well. And here's another question. And that is, uh, if you could have any message of your choice on a billboard, what would that be? Uh, it would be the sort of the mantra that that we uh, have at the company, and it's welcome everything, assume nothing. Welcome everything, assume nothing. I like that. That's great. So with that, we'll wrap up the rapid fire round, and I've just got three final questions for you. And the first okay. one is, what is your current personal or business passion project that you're working on, Ryle, and what are you looking forward to in the next six months to a year? Sure. Uh, so that would be our authentic relating training company, Art International. Uh, we have a huge season coming up uh, here through the spring and summer uh, with trainings on four different continents um, in a whole variety of different markets. And uh, just a huge up-leveling in uh, hiring, staffing, producing, and uh, collaborating with partners uh, around the world. No, that's great. And then... Uh what are three things you're grateful for in life today? Three things. Uh, my kids, <laughs> some of my best teachers, I think going back to your question, uh, who have been my greatest teachers, I'd say my four kids. Uh, so I'm grateful for them. Um, I'm very grateful for the lineage of this practice and all the people uh, 
teachers and students who have contributed to making this practice what it is. It's completely transformed my life in ways I couldn't have ever imagined. Uh, and the third is my health, um, the ability that my body has to get out in the world and uh, be resourced to do some really awesome, uh, fun, enlivening things in the world. That's awesome. And I would like to acknowledge you, Ryle, uh, with a few things here. One being that, uh, you know, the kind of work you're doing is definitely having a global impact. And your work in the prison system in Colorado and the fact that you're taking this work uh, not only uh, within communities but even in organizations and you're really creating this domino effect that uh, will continue to have its uh, positive impact uh, as the years roll by. And that's really awesome. And I commend you for taking on this uh, incredible journey and in your own personal and professional development so that uh, you can be a role model uh, for all of us here in the community to see what does it really mean to live an authentic uh, life and to have that kind of relationships uh, in the community. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you so much, Kyle. It's been a pleasure uh, joining you for this call. Absolutely. And then uh, one final question, and this is how we wrap up all our interviews, and that is, why do you think people should listen to the wisdom of friends? Hmm. Well, it's heartfelt. You know, it's coming from a heartfelt place. I feel your care in your work and the impact that, that this work has on people. Um, and it's uh, it sounds... It's like trustable. It's uh, it's your way of uh, taking care of people and providing and sharing your own dignified truth and perspective of how things are. And uh, I can see it and feel it and appreciate it. Great. I'm sure others do as well. Thank you so much. I appreciate the candid uh, feedback and I enjoyed our conversation this morning. And for those of us who are listening with that, we'll wrap it up. And if you like what you heard, Please share. Don't be shy. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom of Friends show with Cal Aras. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to wisdomoffriends.net to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. We hope you'll pass along our web address, wisdomoffriends.net, to your friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out our archives section on the website for previous episodes and subscribe on iTunes, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank Thank you. you. This has been a Seven Symphonies production Join us next time for another edition of The Wisdom of Friends.